With threats to our nation waiting around every corner, adaptability is more important than ever. When conditions change without notice, quick strategic thinking is crucial. And with obstacles consistently impending, determination is essential in overcoming them. It's this willingness, decisiveness, and resilience that sets Marines apart. With our fighting spirit, we don't just fight battles, we win them. Marines are the constant our nation counts on to fight the unknown. And through adaptable problem solving, we do just that. Learn more at Marines.com. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. The only daily Premier League podcast. This is Football Social Daily. Manchester City have the momentum, but can Tottenham Hotspur halt a record-breaking run? The special ones Spurs side have been poor of late, but will there be a little bit of Mourinho magic at the Etihad this weekend? Jose's ex-club Manchester United will certainly be hoping so. City in the box seat when it comes to the title race, but United are the closest challengers. They'll need to see off Big Sam's baggies at the Hawthorns to stay in the hunt. Top four, not the title. That's the message from Jurgen Klopp as he sets the target for Liverpool after recent results. It's a similar story for Leicester City too, as third place fourth on Saturday. Eight top flight fixtures to peruse here on Football Social Daily, the only Premier League podcast with a new show every day of the week, every day of the season. Hit subscribe now and that way you won't miss a beat when it comes to English football's top tier. I'm Niall McCorn and with me today to take a look at what might be in store for us this weekend is Manchester City content creator Stephen McInerney. How's it going, Stephen? I am as good as we can be at the moment, mate. How are you? You all right? I'm very good. I imagine that Manchester City's form is keeping you <laughs> even happier than perhaps you would normally be. 90 minutes of like heaven interspersed with the greatest of weeks. But yeah, no, it's great. I mean, I love it. Like, um, uh, It'd be a lot better, hopefully, if we get through this weekend. But things are very, very good for Manchester City at the moment. It's very and we've nice. also like got it. the Independence Northern football correspondent, Mark Critchley. Similar feelings, Mark, for you? Uh, yeah, I am. I'm fine. I'm fine. I'm currently like wading through about five or six different spreadsheets trying to figure out what I'm doing in fantasy football this weekend, which is usually <laughs> how I spend my my Friday evenings now in lockdown. So um, yeah, quite stressful, but otherwise okay. <laughs> fantasy football has uprooted many a manager in the last few weeks um, with the surge of midweek games that we've had over the last month or so. Um, but that seems to have died down a little bit now. And just the eight Premier League fixtures this weekend, of course, a double dose of top flight action on Monday night, which of course we will preview on Monday's podcast. So just Saturday and Sunday's games for us to get stuck into on today's Football Social Daily. And we'll start with what I think is the biggest game of the weekend, Manchester to City against Tottenham. Now, this might have been even bigger uh, had Tottenham continued their decent start to the season, but they've fallen off a cliff in recent weeks. This game kicks off Saturday, 5.30pm at the Etihad. 
But let's start from a Manchester City perspective before we get stuck into Spurs. As you've already touched upon in the opening salvo there, Stephen, City looking absolutely imperious. Do Tottenham really give you anything to be worried about? Oh, we're so good at the moment. But of course they do. I mean, Spurs, I saw some ridiculous stats. Yeah, let me just find it, actually. I'm just going to jump on Twitter very quickly. But basically, every single time we play Spurs at the moment, it feels like, um, despite City dominating, we find a reason to lose. So this is after the last three Premier League meetings. Now, I'm not sure if people listening know what expected goals is, but it's an average expected goals per game. Uh, Spurs haven't expected goals of 1.25 of the last three games uh, compared to Man City's 8.47. And the actual goal <laughs> scored is 6-2 to Spurs. So it's like, this is sums up Manchester City versus Spurs at the moment. Spurs, I don't know what it is about them, but they seem to get, I'm not even trying to be biased here, but incredible look against City. Like where City have 20 shots, they have two and score both. So that plays in the back of my mind as a Man City fan. Um, but once again as well, it's Jose Mourinho. You know, he's capable, even though I personally think the question marks about his overall ability at the moment, he's still capable of having a big game or at least parking the bus so effectively that, you know, you can't find any gaps to get around it. So it's, um, even, even though City are very good, there's always that doubt, especially when it spurs, you know. So that's what I'm. That's, that's why I'm. Did you ever it. have any doubts, Stephen, that City would become as good as they have been so far this season? Because obviously it was a bit of a rocky start where things needed to be sorted out at the back, and obviously Ruben Diaz has come in and John Stones has found this unbelievable form again after a, a couple of years, sort of in the wilderness, really, in terms of his form. So, did you ever have any doubts at the start of the season that you would go on this record-breaking run, which is now 15 wins in a row, which has never been done since, I think, the 1890s when Preston did it? Um, I didn't know we'd win this many in a row, but um, thankfully, <laughs> Twitter and social media and YouTube can back me up on this. I did always feel that we'd get it right eventually, and one of the reasons was because we started to fix the defence and so on, um, and we then, we were struggling to score goals, but my logic being, if Guardiola can fix one area, we know he can definitely fix the attack as well, so I was never overly concerned it'd be a long-term thing, and it was a case at the start of the season where City did, through various reasons, and I'm not moaning, just pointing out genuine facts that City did have a lot of players out at the start of the season through, you know, through COVID and through injuries and so on and it did feel like um, we just hadn't got going yet um, of course with some worries based on last season as well but I knew eventually we'd get it right if you give you know a, a world class manager a load of great players um, and obviously money to make signings eventually he's got to get it right you know um, so I was never really I never had any doubts that um, we'd turn it round eventually I didn't know how quickly we'd do it or I didn't know that Spurs game would be the catalyst that when we haven't lost since that Spurs game it's been 22 games since then and City have won 19 of them including one dead rubber of draw against Porto so it's two two draws that mattered one it didn't matter and 19 wins so I didn't see that coming after that Spurs game you told me that I would have just you know I would have been lying if I thought that was coming but overall yeah I have to believe that this City team was still capable of going on you know a good winning run and, and challenging for titles and strangely, despite those 19 wins, um, it is at the back where probably City's best players have operated and Rodri and Diaz yeah. should be available for the game against Tottenham. How impressed have you been, Mark, with Ruben Diaz this season so far and how he's come in and adapted to the Premier League like a duck to water and almost kind of made John Stones better and, and helped him uh, through that rocky patch of form? And, and those two as a duo, when they've played together this season, have looked absolutely solid. Yeah, he's looked really good. Um, and I think once in a few months' time, once we start getting into conversations about who our players of the season are and who our signings of the season are, he's definitely he's definitely going to be in there. He's going to be in that conversation. Um, I think mm. like he's obviously been he's, he's been brilliant. I, I I do wonder how much of it is down to him solely, and how much of it is also exactly what Stephen's talking about there with with Pep also sorting out the defense because 
City just seem like a very different all-round team together, if you like. Um, not just because of the signings that they've made or any additions or players. It, it, it feels like systematically they're a little bit more just savvy and a little bit didn't like just defensively sound sometimes a little bit more cautious maybe or they just know how to how to ride games out and in this hectic season that we're having they know how to conserve their energy and they know when to push and when to when to pull back a little bit um so I, I think it's it's kind of part of a whole but he's certainly Diaz has certainly been one of their one of their best players and um you're right he's he's I think from Stones' perspective as well, he's really benefited from not just having that streak of games in the side, but also having a partner alongside him who is reliable. And, you know, because in the past, he was always alongside somebody like Nicholas Otamendi or, you know, it, it felt like there was he never really yeah. had that consistency of somebody that he could rely upon himself. So I think that's that's helped him too. Yeah, I mean, it was Otamendi and I don't know if he was at the club at the same time as Demichelis was at the club. Stephen, you'll probably know. <laughs> was he a replacement for Demichelis? He might well have been, but... Um... <laughs> uh, 2015 he came in. Do you know what Otamendi did uh, have a couple of seasons for City, but towards the end, um, he dropped off a cliff a little bit. And <laughs> last year, it was um, it, it was frustrating. We saw, I mean, Stones, it's not even an exaggeration to say Stones last year was behind Otamendi, was behind Fernandinho as a converted defender. Obviously, the port wasn't there for injuries. Um, he was behind Eric Garcia, the, you know, a very raw teenager. Um, he was really down at the bottom of the pile, and City were, and I, I, I personally heard this, I, you know, I, I can't say I'm in the know or anything like that, but you get to meet a few agents when you go watch academy games and so on. And I've heard from quite a few people say the City were willing to sell Stones in the summer, so it's been a remarkable turnaround, you know. Um, and I, I didn't really see that coming. Um, obviously, you know, we had the ability, but I didn't see it coming. I personally have to give um, Diaz a lot of the credit. I know we obviously Guardiola gets a lot of the credit too, but Diaz just seems like the kind of person that um, inspires those around him. He does have traits of his company in terms of that. You know, he's a massive leader. He's like, he's ridiculously focused. And and, and his signs actually of Stones and Diaz just getting on very well. I know that shouldn't matter, but there's like a bit of a bromance there between them. There really is. Like, they seem to just absolutely love each other. And that stuff kind of does matter. And I never got that impression with any of the other centre-back pairings, but these two seem like mates already. And, and I, I definitely, you, we all know what it's like. You've got someone at work you get along with and you, you you know, especially if it's football, it's a partnership. It does help. And Stones and Diaz, they, something about them as a pair has just clicked and they've been absolutely huge for us. Some slightly psychotic discourse from Ruben Diaz as well, saying that he quite enjoys letting the other team feel powerless when he's defending. Some of, the, some of the quotes that he's come out with are, are slightly concerning, the sort of ones that if you, you wouldn't want to cross him in a dark alley. Um, before we <laughs> do talk about Tottenham, Mark, let's just say Spurs do win and Stephen's worst fears come to light and City don't end up picking up the three points. Will that be a cause for concern for Pep Guardiola and Man City or is the fact that they've got a game in hand, a nice buffer for them with a points gap and a cushion at the top of the league? Yeah, I think there's the game in hand and, and the little points cushion like you talk about. But I, I even think that if I was them and you lost this game this weekend, I, I just really wouldn't be concerned whatsoever. Guardiola was talking today. He was saying, you know, everybody's mm. everybody's throwing praise at City at the minute, but he's conscious as much as anybody else is that that this defeat is coming. It, 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 there has to be a setback at some point or even just a draw just to end this run of wins because... What they're doing at the minute is is unprecedented. It is a record uh, for English football history. So, you know, the law of averages states that sooner or later something will happen no matter how good you are. And the key when that does happen is that is not to overreact and, and to and to remember just how much progress has been made. I mean, I think even before even before the Tottenham game, 
um, which they lost back in November, you could see signs of this kind of what I was talking about before, this new city, this, this a lot a lot more solid, uh, mm. a lot more defensively sound. You could see signs of that already. And, and I think there was some reaction to the Tottenham game, which, you know, perhaps didn't take that into account and went a little bit over the top. And Guardiola, even then, he was saying, I, I remember him giving an answer after that game. He got asked about how they always concede on the counter-attack. And that was definitely the case last season and in a lot of yeah. big games. Mm. But if you, I, th- I think I'm right in saying that that Spurs game, there was the one goal on the counter-attack, but he got asked about it afterwards and he said, that's not been a problem for us. We've been a lot better at that. And, you know, if 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 we concede one goal on the counter-attack to a team like Tottenham that are so good at that, I'm not going to, I'm not going to lose my head over it. Um, so I think, you know, in the same yeah. in the same vein, like this season, if, if tomorrow Tottenham pull out one of these results that they always seem to pull out against City and everything goes against City, no matter how well they play, I wouldn't personally, like, if I was Pep Guardiola, suddenly throw the baby out with the bathwater and get all carried away. I think what they've done over the last few weeks yeah. has been really, it's, it's been superb. They, they, they just have so much control over games. They look like not just the best team in the Premier League, but probably the best team in Europe as well at the minute as well. So I really wouldn't get oh, carried it, away. I love it. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> don't want to get carried away, but they're the best team in Europe right now. <laughs> it's just true. It's just facts. I think I'd be inclined to agree with you there. To be fair, Mark. Um, before we do analyse Tottenham in a little bit um, more detail, Stephen, I noticed on your Twitter account you posted a bit of a statistic that Tottenham's <laughs> ten wins in their last twenty-one games have come against some. Teams you probably expect them to be, yes. let's be honest. Uh, Europa League sides like Ludogorets and teams battling relegation like Sheffield United and West Brom. It's fair to say if they do get a result against Manchester City, it would be a surprise twofold. One, because City are on such a good run. But secondly, their form has taken a complete nosedive, Tottenham. Yeah, yeah, as you just saying, 21 games, only 10. and they beat, I mean, that's like Wickham and Marine. I don't even know where Marine is or what league they're in, you know. I, <laughs> is anyone, I, I, I'm not even making it up. I don't, I've not heard of them, but I don't know where they are. So, yeah. um, they're in Liverpool, like, I think. Yeah. Oh, are they? Okay, well, I should know that, given I'm from Manchester. But um, basically, um, they are in good form, and during that run as well, lost to Leicester, Liverpool, Brighton, Chelsea, and of course, the other day, quite spectacularly to Everton. Um, but, you know, there's always that... Um, you, you, <laughs> There's always that hope for Spurs fans against City, but um, I mean, my theory of, on Mourinho is um, it's controversial, but I do think he's following the predictable pattern that Mourinho does. The Mourinho like hype cycle, especially the recent one, anyway. And um, mm. since his implosion at Chelsea, I feel that 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 was when Mourinho changed that day. And I do feel like um, Spurs are. They, it's almost amplified because he started so well uh, and obviously there's all that hope when you have all that hope and it starts to get crushed it's just such a negative spiral isn't it um, it's really difficult you know to what? get out of it Mourinho's like a Caribbean weather system where the weather's beautiful That's and just sunny thinking, and palm mate. trees and then all of a sudden the clouds come rolling in and there's a hurricane and there's a horrible storm and everything's destroyed. Um, those doom clouds are coming. You can see it from a mile off. Um, sure. But the thing is, do you think Jose Mourinho, and we spoke about this on yesterday's podcast, do you think Jose Mourinho is naive enough to know that he's not going to be there for long uh, or, or vice versa. I think you get what I'm trying to say here. Basically, his remit is to go into Tottenham and win them a trophy, something they haven't done since 2008. The massive monkey on the club's back. Do you think that both Levy and Mourinho know, OK, you're in here to do a job and to win a silverware? I don't think that those two are kidding themselves if they're thinking that there's going to be a legacy built and a dynasty built from Jose Mourinho. One thing I will say quickly, man, is I don't think they were expecting to be eighth, though. I mean, regardless of it, I, I feel like that was a... Uh, 
uh, a poor decision from Levy because obviously Pochettino was doing uh, he's done a better job than um, than what Mourinho's done so far. And I do feel that was a desperate attempt to make sure they stay in the te- top four. And I think it's backfired so far. Even a Carabao Cup win against City, which is very possible, and I wouldn't be surprised if it happens. That's not good enough. I'm, I don't think it is. Like, you can't finish just above mid table around Aston Villa and you know Aston Villa and Leeds and stuff like that, and get a Carabao Cup if you Spurs. They have to be aiming higher for that. You've got some of the you've got two genuine world class forwards there. Like two of the best forwards in the Premier League, and then you've got a bunch of players around that who are very good. And you've got, and he's bear in mind as well, Marino's not on the cheap there. He's worth an awful lot. His contract's a damn sight bigger than Pochettino's as well. So um, Marino ain't cheap, and you don't get him just to kind of win the Carabao Cup. You get him in to try and get in the top four and at least challenge for the title. Um, and obviously, they may not fall that was anytime soon, but I do feel like um, the expectations would have been higher than to mm. win less than half the games so far this season. And maybe I'm wrong, but I, I, it doesn't seem to add up to me. So I feel like it's kind of not gone very well so far what's your take mark because you know i think that there is an interesting narrative there between levy and Mourinho and this idea that he's only in the club to win silverware steven thinks that it was kind of silverware and a top four finish what do you think well you could do both uh and well in a way you could do one without doing either if i try and explain it i i've got a feeling that the way things are going at spurs this season i wouldn't be too surprised if in a few weeks' time, he looks at the table and they're only a few points off fourth at the minute, but there's so many teams in that race. Yeah, I wouldn't yeah. be surprised if he wonders, shall we just try and dead-end the league and try and win the Europa League? And that way we get into the Champions League at the same time. We pick up the silverware that you're He's talking about. He's done it before, about. hasn't he, as well? He did exactly did the same United, at United, yeah, yeah that yeah. season when I think... the. The, the race was a lot more closed off then. They, I, I seem to remember that was the, it might have been the year before, but United were just kind of stuck around sixth or seventh and couldn't couldn't really move any higher. And it was clear that there were the, there was no real ambition in the in the league uh, to get to aim for. So they just went for the Europa League. But I, I do wonder whether he might come to the conclusion, especially if the race widens a little bit. Um, sorry, narrows even the opposite. If it narrows a little bit in the next few weeks, then I wonder whether he'll come to think, yeah, that's that's a possibility because then. You know, like I say, you could you could kind of do both and satisfy everybody on that front. Um, and I think, yeah, mm. you know, the the trophy is important. Silverware is important. You're right. But Champions League football is so huge. And to be out of it for two seasons yeah. is for, for a team that was in the final not so long ago, let's remember. Yeah, um, mm. that that really has to be the priority. Um, the only risk, I guess, with that strategy is that if you do that, you can become, you can come very close to, to failing and ending up with nothing. And it happened with United in that that year when he tried it. They played Celta Vigo in the semi final, and it was is it John Gadetti used to play for City. He had like a sitter in the last yeah. minute. He had a sitter in the last minute of extra time or whatever it was in the semi final that would have put Celta Vigo through on away goals. And if that goal goes in, the whole process and the whole plan that you had for like the second half of the season is just up in flames. And you know that you you probably don't get. You probably don't see out the rest of the season. Let's be honest. If you're a club like United now, Tottenham might have slightly different expectations. But um, I just wonder whether he'll see that as a route to getting everything that he needs in order to in order to stay in the job. 
Yeah, I do wonder how important this game is for Jose Mourinho. His Tottenham side travelled to Manchester City uh, at Saturday, 5.30pm kickoff. He's also been having a dig at Gareth Bale for an Instagram post. Um, Gareth Bale posted that he had a good training session. Jose Mourinho came out in his press conference and said that couldn't be further from the truth. He's trained terribly this week. Oh, he's so childish. Oh, goodness me. So but he is, a good, he is good viewing. I will give him that. He is good <laughs> this viewing. This is why he's going to get sacked. <laughs> Stephen's uh, thrown his eggs in the sacked basket. I just think it's nonsense. I think it's nonsense. And I think he's such a child and he can't see it. And he's, he's the reason for his own downfall, Jose. But he'll never see yeah, it. Yeah, I think the thing is now he's been in the game so long as well. Some of the quotes he said 15 years ago, which sounded quite bullish and quite cool, have come back to bite yeah. him. Like losing 5-4 yeah, the, the, <laughs> the thing is, Mourinho's success I've always built, was built on this aura of invincibility, which he'd earned. He was brilliant and he was young and handsome and dashing and fantastic. And he swept everyone along with his charisma. But then as soon as he had that implosion at Chelsea, he looks like a bitter old man. And the problem is there, when, when you become that and the players don't think you're special anymore, no one buys into it. And instead, the, you just look annoying. And that is my problem. That's my problem with Mourinho. I feel like, honestly, the players just think he's a bit of a whiner now and they don't take him seriously because he hasn't got that charisma anymore because that facade has just disappeared so that is mm. where i feel like josie's at and uh, i feel quite strongly about it because i think he's just he's whining he does his own problems he'll never learn i think the second chelsea spell is definitely a point yes. in time where you can look along a timeline and go that was where things started to slide and i would agree with you there anyway we haven't got time to talk Mourinho. he is a character which we could probably talk about for an entire <laughs> podcast but we can't we'll have to leave it there city v tottenham saturday 5 30 uh the early kickoff the lunchtime kickoff on saturday is at the king power stadium where we have more top four action leicester city taking on liverpool now these two sides have had their fair share of injuries injuries it's fair to say has absolutely dominated the liverpool narrative this season but leicester have had plenty too james Justin, for example, has just done his ACL and he'll probably miss the rest of the season now. The young fullback who's looked really impressive this year and was even being tipped by some for an England call-up. Do you think Leicester have been given enough credit, Mark, for how they've performed considering the injuries that they've had and to some key players as well? Yeah, I think it's a really interesting point, actually. Um, I personally, I was looking at Leicester at the start of the season and they were always up and around in those positions. And simply because of the injuries that they had, because it's not just... It's not just some of the players you mentioned there. I'm thinking like they, they went a long time without Indeedy, who's such an important player for them and was last season as well. And he's probably one of the best mm. defensive midfielders in the league. Didn't have him for a long yeah. time. Didn't have Pereira. Justin came in for Pereira, who was really impressive last season at fullback. Um, and yeah, then yeah. Madison and Vardy as well. They've they've been missing at different times through different stretches. And I, you looked at them and even though they kept picking up mm. results... And even though um, I think they were quite reliant on a lot of penalties as well, there was that game at City where they got three in one game, for example, and they've been leading penalties for in terms of the teams that had the most in the league for since the start of the season. You always felt they were a little bit reliant on them and maybe they'd just fall away, but they're still there. And um, I think, yeah, we are starting to have to take them seriously. And I know they've lost Justin now um, and mm. he's been so big for them and so important for them. And that is a loss, but... You know, if, if he was the replacement for Pereira and they can nurse Pereira back, they've got Ndidi back, they've got Madison back, they've got Vardy who's, who's going to come back for this game, I think, I'm right in saying. Um, if yeah. they can just get those players together on the on the field, you know, Castagna as well, who they signed in the mm -hmm. summer, who looked really good before he was out. Yeah. If they can just get that team together, then there really isn't I th there really isn't an argument against them making top four. I mean, I, I, I still don't know if I can see it um, because there's a lot of quality in that race, but they're definitely going to be in the hunt, definitely. Well, I think this time last year, well, just after the turn of the year, actually, um, they really 
let things slip. They took their foot off the gas. They stopped getting the results and it mm. came down to a final day showdown, didn't it, with Manchester United and eventually United and Chelsea pipped them to the top four spots and uh, Leicester finished fifth. But you mentioned some of those players and, you know, Soyuncu was out for a long period. Dennis Pratt yeah, will be yeah. out now for another few weeks. Fafana, who's been a really impressive signing, and Castagna, mm. both ruled out, I think, um, for the weekend. Perez is just returned from injury. Wes Morgan's been injured. So many players. I mean, and that's just on top yeah. of the ones that you've just mentioned. So I think it's only fair that we treat them with a level of respect that they've been able to get results despite the injuries. How much credit, therefore, should go to Brendan Rodgers, Stephen, because of that? Because he comes up against his former club, Liverpool, of course, who he took so close to winning a Premier League title uh, all those years ago. Loads. Um, I mean, absolutely loads. I think Brendan Rodgers is a very good manager. We don't know if he's, um, you know, in the elite level of managers, but he's he's damn close. You know, he's a very good manager. And I think we underestimate him because, you know, he's from the general home nations and all that kind of stuff. Um, and we don't really appreciate his ability. Um, it's probably a cliche, but if he was Rodgers Eno or something like that, we'd probably take a lot more attention to him. I don't think that's fair. <laughs> right? Sam Allardyce there, but, it, but, it's, but I think it's, in this instance, his CV speaks for itself. You know, it, it does, you know, uh, um, I think the last time Liverpool lost three in a row, by the way, was um, when Rodgers was in charge at Liverpool. So it's been like, it's a bit of an omen for them. But I think Rodgers is a fantastic manager. I think the fact that he's kind of established Leicester as this top four challenges and all that kind of stuff around there um, is very impressive. I know they're not got, they're not, they're not, they haven't got enough in budget, but they definitely haven't got the budget of the... Um, they're the traditional big six um, alongside him. And they, they play good football. They, they're well organised. Mm. They, they sign players really well. Um, Rogers is obviously a big part of that as well. I, I like Leicester. I think they're a good team, uh, well-managed, uh, well-structured. Uh, and Rogers deserves the vast majority of the credit for that for me. Yeah, and I think they will finish top four personally. I'll ask you guys what, what you think a little bit later. Well, Stephen said and, and um, that he feels the same. And Mark, I think yeah. you say that you're not quite convinced. <laughs> yeah, no, no I, don't, I think it's just there's a lot of... I mean, we'll come on to Liverpool, I'm sure. I, I, just, I just can't see Liverpool not finishing in the top four because they look to me like sure. still the second best team in the league. And, you know, once you fill those two places... Well, are you are you going to kick Chelsea out? Maybe, but mm. they look they look like they've improved mm. a lot under Tuchel. United have already got some of the points on the board and are in that and in, in those positions. It's it's difficult. I can make I could definitely yeah. be convinced because I'm not too sure on United. But even if even if Liverpool lose to Leicester on Saturday, yeah, you still think so. yeah yeah so yeah I, I, and you know I know that if they if they lose and it's a uh, I mean, is it the fourth in a row? It's not, is it? Because there was the three in the row was at home. But um, at the home, yeah, yeah. Sorry. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. Right. Okay. So, but um, yeah. I, I mean, it's still. It's obviously not a good result, and it would only mean another week of people like me going on podcasts and telling what's wrong with Liverpool, and you know, it's big. <laughs> you know, I'm sure. I'm sure that there'd be a whole another week of introspection. But it just feels like to me that they are still cut above. Um, basically every other team in this league apart from City mm. and they've just been on a pretty they've been on a pretty raw run of results a raw run of fortune with injuries we know that already and that still keeps mm. happening there's the news today about Fabinho is going to miss this game so you know yeah. I, I, I wouldn't be surprised if Leicester get a result and even beat them tomorrow but it it just feels to me like there's, they've still got too much quality about them to really be ever counted out of that top four race and I know Klopp's saying that's what they need to focus on uh, and they should there's they absolutely shouldn't be complacent about it because it is so tight. But um, I think, yeah, I, towards in the second half of the season as well, it looks like the fixtures slightly ease up a little bit. Um, they've, they've come through a bit of a run against some of the top teams now. 
and I expect them to kind of pull away from this race and it will come down to the likes of Leicester and to the likes of United yeah. and, and Chelsea and maybe a few others mixed in there. Intriguing contest on the cards. Leicester against Liverpool Saturday, 12.30pm kickoff. We've got Manchester United to talk about next. They take on West Brom. We'll do it after this here on Football Social Daily. Football Social Daily. Subscribe to the podcast now so you never miss an episode. Listen to the latest Premier League news, updates and match reports now. Just ask Open Sports Social. Welcome back to Football Social Daily. I'm now alongside me. I've got Stephen and Mark. Time to talk West Brom against Manchester United, which is the 2pm kickoff on Sunday. Now, the Baggies have an uphill battle, Stephen, if they are going to stay up. They're currently in the relegation zone. Big Sam might bitten off a little bit more than he can chew. Do you think they can take a bit of confidence from the fact that Sheffield United recently beat Manchester United um, a couple of weeks ago? Does it bear no real relevance, do you think? Well, if anyone can grab a victory out of nowhere, it's probably someone like Sam Allardyce. So, yeah, I mean, um, that will clearly be a motivating factor. And I wouldn't be surprised if United fans are even slightly fearing that possibility, given that. So, I guess where there's belief from one side and a fear from the other, there's always a chance that it may happen. And um, it would be a very Sam Allardyce thing to do to kind of get a victory and no one cl- no expecting to be. I think he did it. Um, uh, no, never mind. I'll get mixed up there. But yeah, but it'd be very, very. It's very possible for them to do it, you know. And uh, to be honest, they need to. <laughs> they literally need to. I mean, if this miracle is going to happen, um, and it doesn't look likely given how many points they are behind Burnley now, um, this has to be the kind of game. And it also, I guess it's the cliche where it's, it's a free hit for them, isn't it? You know, they don't. No one's expecting them to get points against United. So why not go for it? Why not um, just throw everything at United and see what happens? Because United, as good as they have been, they're up and down, and they are prone to a loss like this. So there's definitely a chance yeah definitely that Sheffield United result was a real hammer blow to their title credentials um were they out of the title race as soon as they were in it Mark with those results against Sheffield United and against Everton in which Dominic Calvert-Lewin secured a a late draw for Everton in that game uh, just last week what do we think about the mentality of Manchester United in regards to this supposed title race this season I mean some have argued that they've almost forgotten how to be successful if that's the right way to describe it Jamie Carragher actually said on Sky Sports recently that he feels that United didn't fancy it in terms of a title race to actually quote him I just wonder what your take on the whole situation was because obviously United fans were jovial that they were top of the league for the first time in seven years uh, and yet when they were kind of top of the pile they didn't really seize the opportunities that they had and they slipped up a couple of times yeah um, look, I, I, I mean I, I really like Jamie Carragher as a pundit I think a lot of what he says makes sense um, but I don't know if it's so much a mentality issue with United I think actually the mentality was there I think um, during that winning run what struck me about it was just how many of the, um, the games and how many of the wins that they got were one nil or two one or basically just one goal wins. A lot of the time it'd be mm. quite late. I, I remember the the one Burnley, Burnley one. Fulham. Yeah, there was the there was the Wolves one mm. uh, just around Christmas. There was the Villa one yeah. where they won. It was a, it was a great game and like very tightly contested. And the, it was only Eric Bight by yeah. blocking it in the last the last kick of the game that managed to keep them keep them ahead. Mm. It, it felt like during that little run. I don't know whether I don't know whether. Solskjaer believed I don't know if Solskjaer thought that it was on and whether he expected it but I did get the sense that definitely the players felt like they were on a sort of run that they could sustain but I think you know 
the nature of those wins, a lot of those wins, a lot of them being so narrow and a lot of them being by just one goal, I think that told you what the true essence of it was, which was that it probably was unsustainable and they, they just weren't dominating games enough and weren't actually imposing themselves on teams where you where you could ever really feel convinced. I remember after I remember after the Burnley game that you mentioned there, um, and like the the thing I wrote after that was just like trying to compare them and looking at them in relation to teams that have won the title over the last few years. So obviously we we all know just by looking at them they're not on the level that City have been on. Uh, we know that they're not at the level that Liverpool were last year, but you had to look at certain things like whether it was the points that they pick up or whether it was the goals they score or whether it was like the expected goals, Stephen's favourite thing that you mentioned before, <laughs> like that sort of stuff. Even that didn't compare to even Leicester. So, you know, who was a great story, but that was a team that nobody expected to win the title. They won it with one of the lowest points totals of the last few years as well. So I think, um, I think it was always a little bit unrealistic to really expect United to go and to go and challenge and the fact that they were up there that late into the season was almost a product of just the strange season that we're having where mm. City have started slow, Liverpool have, haven't been at it and the race itself for the title up until a few weeks ago looked like it could be one of the most open that we've ever seen yeah. and I think it was more to do with that rather than rather than United um, yeah, I, I, I get it Like they didn't fancy it, maybe they got I think Carragher's thinking they got into, into that position and suddenly thought, oh wait, no, we can't do this I don't know if that was the case, I just think that the quality was yeah. never really there. It's quality more than mentality, I think, is what you're getting at. Yeah. So in that in that case, then, with that in mind, how far away do you think they are? And obviously, Manchester City have hit new heights this season. But at that period in time where that wasn't quite the case, or at least it was kind of the, the early stages of that run that City were putting together, and United did find themselves at the top of the league, how far away did you do you think that they were then, or maybe even are now, in terms of uh, sign-ins? Is it just bringing in a few bits of quality? Is it going to take another two transfer windows? I mean, what, how how far away do you think they are from from being a genuine title contender? <laughs> yes, yeah, so it's the like million dollar question, or like the the three hundred million dollar question. <laughs> trying to figure out how much they actually need to spend. Um, I think. Look, if you're talking, oh, <laughs> we haven't oh, got time no, for that. I, don't, I can't go there. I can't joking, go there. Right. Um, <laughs> um, look, I think that. I think they, they could definitely do with strength in a few areas of the squad. Uh, there's a lot of talk this week about how they'll be looking to get a partner for Maguire. And I think that, like, you look at somebody like Lindelof and with Bayes injuries, yeah, I can understand why you go there. But I don't think the defence has been very poor this season. And I don't think it's a situation where if you just sign um, a, a, defend, a central defender, that gets better. I don't. I don't think that's really worked. You know, I think I would look to try and get somebody in midfield that can that can play alongside whoever, whether Pogba's there or not, whether it's Van der Beek in that role next season. I think you'd want somebody who's a bit a defensive midfielder is a bit better than either Fred or Scott McTominay, even though they've they've done well when they play together this season. I think you probably just want one alongside there. You probably want some more out of the right hand side, which has been poor for years. And they, you know, they tried to get Sancho last summer, as everybody knows, didn't work. I don't know whether they'll try again this summer, but we'll see. Um, you definitely want somebody there. And then maybe you can start to talk about a challenge. But, um, you know, and Stephen raised it there. I think, you know, there are still questions about Solskjaer himself and just how far he can take them, whether he's the guy to take them to that next stage. I don't think there's any, there's any questions anymore about whether he's improved the team. I think I think everybody can see that. Yeah. I think mm. there are, there are, he's brought them on a long way from where they were uh, during the final days under Mourinho. But... What, 
what exactly is needed in order to take to that next step. I think I think that's something that we've got to wait and see on. Yeah, it's a fair comment. Anyway, Manchester United, you'd back them to beat West Brom this weekend in the Premier League. Two o'clock kickoff on Sunday. Uh, 4.30 on Sunday at the Emirates is Arsenal against Leeds. And, you know, it's an interesting conundrum talking about Arsenal, Stephen. I'm just wondering what you think represents a good season for the Gunners from here on in. They're currently 11th. Leeds, their opponents, are also smack bang in the middle of the table in 10th. And there's just a points difference between the two sides. Obviously, expectations for Arsenal were high at the start of the season, considering they won the FA Cup. And, you know, Mikel Arteta had some time to get his feet under the table. So... All things considered, now that they do find themselves mid-table and having had a poor season, it's fair to say, albeit in extenuating circumstances, what do you think represents a good finish to the campaign for the the Arsenal? I don't really think they can have a good season from here on out, to be honest. I I think they can just have a less bad one. Um... I, I like. I don't. I honestly believe like there's no real unless they go on an insane amount of win. Maybe there we go. Maybe they find great, great form if things start to click and they win. Uh, I don't know ten of the, the next fifteen games that they've got left, and you know only lose a couple, and they maybe just miss out on Champions League football, uh, and they and they go far in the Europa League because they could they definitely could win that. You know that's not that's not impossible. So maybe that. Um, but to be honest, um, I. That doesn't seem likely, but it's not impossible. Uh, I guess, you know, stranger things have happened than that. But so far, um, Arsenal fans are underwhelmed, and rightfully so, I think. Um, Arteta is obviously new to this management game, and there's still a little bit of goodwill going around, but their form uh, hasn't been good enough. That's that's not an understatement. Um, and I, I don't really think any Arsenal fans are expecting 11th, you know, past the halfway point of the season. Um, and it's not even an unfair 11th. They are very much where they deserve to be. Um, it's not been bad luck. Mm. They haven't been, you know, they haven't had the injuries of Leicester um, or Liverpool or anyone like that. Um, they've had a few, a few knocks here and there, but it's been nothing like that, if that makes sense. Um, so, yeah, I, I, yeah it, I mean, maybe a, an upturning form, signs for next season, push towards six or something like that. But... I still think um, it'll be seen unless they do something crazy special towards the end to balance out the really poor start of the season. I think it'll overall be seen as a very underwhelming season. Yeah, I think I'll agree with you there because their next fixtures after Leeds on Sunday, um, bookending uh, a game with you guys, Manchester City. They've got Europa League games with Benfica home and away. Then it's a trip to Leicester, then Burnley at home. Then it's a North London derby before they travel to West Ham for another London derby. And then on the 3rd of April, they've got Liverpool. And then obviously there's only a, a sort of six or seven games left after that. So their run in the next five or six fixtures is a difficult one. There's no doubt about that. And you talk about possible injuries, but it's the discipline issues that we've been talking about in recent weeks, Mark, which have been a problem for Arsenal. Last week on the show, we discussed Arsenal's red cards I think that's nine Premier League dismissals for them now since Mikel Arteta took over uh, as Arsenal manager in December 2019 which is three times more than any other Premier League side in that time we couldn't actually make any sense last week when we were discussing it how Arteta actually solves this discipline issue is it something a manager can solve is there any way that he can put a stop to the fact that his players keep getting sent off or is it just a circumstantial thing I'd be interested to hear your thoughts on this because we really couldn't put our fingers on it last week um it's a really interesting question um i think that if you were taking so for example the the red cards that they had against wolves like the leno one which was just mm. the most insane thing that i've seen this season and like we are in the press box <laughs> at traffic and literally uh, that six rails of the press box were just howling with laughter yeah. uh, uh, <laughs> um 
but it's it like was, something from the Olympics of volleyball. It was insane. It was insane. I honestly, right, but stuff like that and the Louise one, which is you know, I, I think it's kind of similar. It's just it's almost it's almost lucky. Yeah, yeah. They're well, they're almost red cards because of they're not for violent conduct or anything like that. It's it's just it's it's almost was it overturned, Louise? By the way, uh, no, it, I think Louise. I think that was upheld. Or? Yeah, I think that one was upheld, but the. Um, there's another oh, one, a similar stupid, one that wasn't. Stupid decision. Well, I think with both of those, it's, there's not a lot that you can really do to act against them. But I, I was thinking more, if you think this season, there was that one that Xhaka had against Burnley where he grabbed the guy by the throat. Um, and there's the Pepe one at Leeds where he headbutted somebody. Um, and those ones, like, those are ones where that really is actual, actually just indiscipline. That is, like, that is that is almost something to do with the players personalities themselves that yeah. aggressive side that they've let out and i i wonder whether that's really something that you can coach out not just out of a footballer but out of a person that some some people some players will always have that streak in them and there's not too much that a manager can really do and i think it comes back to really more of the familiar thing that we talk about with arsenal is is really their kind of recruitment process and the much wider stuff that they do mm. because if you want to try and <laughs> Build they need to stop buying doesn't... clumsy, stupid players, is what you're <laughs> well, saying. <laughs> well, in so many words, in, in so many words. But you, you want to try and if you want to build a team ethos where you don't have that streak in you, then that takes mm. a, a few more years of work in, in, in the transfer market. It means not giving new contracts to players like Granite Xhaka or you know whoever. <laughs> so yeah. so it's it's much bigger than maybe than, than, than Arteta. Maybe it's, it's much bigger than. Him. I was gonna say, I, I do think there's an element of. I, I, I... I always believe people like usually follow the wallet as well. I mean, if you've got players being constant in discipline, like I'm, I'm, I'm didn't find them, you know, <laughs> like like Guardiola. I remember Guardiola basically giving up on Delph after he got set up against Wigan, um, and it felt like because he, he was reckless and silly, he never forgave him after that. And City don't get really many players sent off at all for in, in discipline. So it's one of those things where I do think that, that there's an element where the manager can be like, you just don't do that. It's not acceptable. You won't be playing, you know, especially if it's getting into fights and so on. So I do think there has to. There's an element of the players have that attitude but you know there is an element where you can be like well if you do that by the way you ain't going to be playing and you will be fined heavily so I, I, I wouldn't be surprised if he's maybe a little bit too passive or something like that I mean, you never know of course but you, you can't allow it either way you can't allow it if it comes a trend you do as a manager have to try something you have to try something because it obviously it costs your team points and I always I always believe like um, yeah fines fines and missing out games is the, the things footballers hate you know so that's what if I was a manager I'd be doing that if you're getting set up for fighting I would be genuinely dropping the player and I would be fine mm. heavily but maybe maybe I wouldn't be a very good manager but we'll see. <laughs> I did want to talk a little bit about Patrick Bamford and perhaps where he sits in the queue for the Euros in terms of England strikers of course Gareth Southgate got, has got Kane, Vardy, Ings, Calvert-Lewin, Abraham etc uh, all possible uh, call-ups in terms of his England squad for the European Championships but we will leave it there because uh, we've still got loads of games to talk about and um, we actually did talk about Bamford a little bit on yesterday's podcast so make sure you hit subscribe or scroll back and, and check that one out if you do want to hear a little bit about that but Arsenal against Leeds is a 4.30 kickoff on Sunday uh, the final kickoff of the Premier League weekend is at Sunday is on Sunday at 7pm Everton versus Fulham at Goodison Park um, Everton threw in the FA Cup after a 5-4 thriller against Spurs with Bernard's extra time goal causing Carlo Ancelotti to look like the coolest man on the planet um, albeit he was saying that he was so cold all he wanted to do was <laughs> make sure he doesn't chuck his cup of tea everywhere when they did score finally to get themselves through you'd think they'd be full of confidence 
after winning that game, Mark. But as we saw against Newcastle United a couple of weekends ago, sometimes it just doesn't happen with Everton. You expect them to go on a bit of a run and beat these sorts of teams, but it isn't always the case. Yeah, um, I think they're a similar case to Leicester, like we were saying before. I think it's, it's another it's another team that's in that kind of top four conversation and has had moments this season where they've looked like they could really contend and challenge. But they have almost had a big problem with just getting all their key players fit at the same time. Um, and until recently, it was it was Dina, it was James, it was Richarlison, and they just about got them all back uh, in the last couple of weeks. And then Calvert-Lewin did his did his hamstring the other night and it looks like he's only going to miss this game and he's going to be back in time for the City game next um, mm. in midweek but I, I feel like they're, they're another team that um, you know given given how close they are really to that top four conversation they're another team who deserves a little bit more credit than they're actually getting maybe um, they are digging out a few more results than <laughs> than um, than you'd expect with the with the injury issues that they've had. Well, Rio and... Ferdinand said a couple of weeks ago that he thought they were still in the title race. Well, so um, Rio thinks <laughs> that they're, uh, they're, they've got oh, a bit about he's, them. Uh, he's an interesting man. <laughs> yeah, true. Um, yeah, but I think um, I think you know they've they've had those. Like I said, they've had those moments this season. They started so well as well. They've had those moments where they've looked like um, this was a year where they could challenge. And I think they went into this season thinking that it was one where they could take advantage of a few other teams maybe not being on it, whether it was because of COVID, because of other teams not spending. You think of the players, they signed like Hammers, like Allen. They signed like peak age players, 28, 29-year-olds who had pedigree in Europe and they really mm. wanted to go for it. And they'll be a little bit disappointed with Ancelotti as well in charge. They'll be a little bit disappointed that they're, they're falling slightly short, but they are still part of that big, huge pack that's chasing that's chasing the top four and they're, they're, they're still in with a shout. Two games at hand as well. It might well have been announced as well by the time this podcast has been released that Luca Dini has actually signed a new deal at Everton as well, which is um, which is a benefit for them. And uh, yeah, like you say, Stephen, two games in hand as yeah. well for Everton. So certainly chances for them to knock on the door of the top four conversation. Yeah, definitely. I mean, like, like two games in hand and, and uh, if they win those, obviously it's not as easy as that, but uh, win those and they're level with Leicester, you know, up in third and all of a sudden the conversation is very different. Even just a win and a draw on the head of Liverpool all of a sudden, which is obviously huge for them. You know, obviously they'll have all the caveats, but that no one would have predicted that at the start of the season. So a long way to go, but I think you'd be um, particularly cruel to say Everton haven't improved under Ancelotti. Um, and uh, they're a good side, and I'm a little bit nervous when the, obviously when City play them next week, and uh, I suspect they'll beat Fulham personally. Um, mm. And I think they are improving. Uh, I'd be interested to see whether I, you know, give them another year, hopefully life a bit more normal and see what Ancelotti can do with another summer. Yeah, I think there's plenty of fight in Everton as well, as we saw in recent games against Tottenham and Manchester United before that. Uh, they'll need a bit of fight to beat Fulham, who themselves are fighting the drop. That game kicks off Sunday, 7pm. Still three more fixtures across the Premier League weekend to discuss. We'll do it next here on Football Social Daily. Football Social Daily. Find more great sport at sport-social.co.uk. the latest Premier League news for your team just ask Open Sport Social Welcome back to the podcast now Southampton and Wolves took each other on in the FA Cup midweek but it's Premier League action for those two sides as they face off just a few days after Southampton did beat Wolves to get themselves through uh, to the FA Cup quarter finals do you think this game will follow a similar pattern Stephen to the one that we saw midweek in the FA Cup or do, do you think Premier League games tend to be slightly more cagey particularly with these two sides not in great form in the league um 
Yeah, well, I mean, I guess the the, diff- the difficult thing is when you've just played each other. Um, there's always that element of you, you know you've seen what the other team has just done, and uh, you you can see how it goes. But I, I'm, to be honest, Southampton's form is so bad at the moment, isn't it? They've like how many mm. lost in a row at the moment? It's a lot, isn't it? I, um, I don't know, but it's no win in nine, Stephen, and they're still chasing uh, a, a a league win since the nine nil loss to Manchester United a couple of weeks ago. So yeah, I know they lost the last five at least anyway. So their form is terrible. Um, the Wolves obviously had lessons to learn. Uh, they'll have a couple of players coming back into the team for this one. So I, I can see Wolves looking to kind of turn it around after the, the loss midweek. And uh, given Southampton's league form, I would not be surprised if actually this ends up a Wolves victory personally. No, well, I would like that considering I couldn't bear if Southampton get any further in the, in the FA Cup. <laughs> I'm struggling. Um, how important is it that they do stop a rot? Stephen's already mentioned, Mark, that that's almost all already set in with at least five defeats in a row. I'm not sure of the exact statistics, but like I just said there, no win in nine games, a recent 9-0 defeat, lots of injuries piling up as well for Southampton. Um, a win over Wolves, obviously, in the FA Cup will give them confidence that they can do it again this weekend. But, you know, is that rot already set in? Has it already begun? I mean, how important is it that they do put a stop to that? Or have they already done that with the FA Cup win? You'd like to think so. I think, you know, that it's quite a big result that they got the 2-0 at Wolves, especially in the FA Cup. So you'd think that would have eased a little bit of the tension that would have built. Um, and of course, they've come off the back of the 9-0 before um, and got stronger for it. Uh, I think with them, I, I watched a bit of the game against Newcastle last week and that was just such a frustrating game because you knew it was there for the taking and you knew for their for their point of view. And Newcastle finished with nine men. Nothing was going in for them and it just feels like it, it, that's that's very much the case for them at the minute. Like things aren't falling their way. And um, I remember looking at like some of the, like all the expected goals and all the underlying numbers and all that stuff and it's it at the start of the season when they were riding quite well it felt like there was a little bit of um a little bit of hot air in them they were slightly overperforming and maybe they've come back down you know a little bit so they've come back down to earth and they've they've started to look a bit more like the yeah. team that they actually really are but they're still you know they're not as bad as five straight defeats and one of them's a nine nil and two nine nils in the space of yeah. two seasons so that they're just not Harson who's not that bad manager he's, he's actually probably in terms of the talent level within the squad, I think I, I think we sometimes overrate it slightly. I think he's actually working with a group of players mm. that probably really isn't up to that much in terms of a Premier League quality, but he's getting he's he's been getting good results out of them over of the of the course of about two and a half seasons now. Yeah. So um But I mean the so, thing yeah. is the thing is I suppose you could say, Mark, sorry to interject there, is that yeah. when they're bad, they're really bad. You know, and I mean, that's got to be a concern, you know, because how many managers survive two 9-0 defeats? And you're absolutely right. I mean, even though I'm a Portsmouth fan, I have to sit here and say that Southampton have looked a good side um, under Haas and Hurtle at times. I mean, they're even top of the Premier League at one point this season, so you have to give them credit. But when they are, you know, declining in form, it seems to be real bad. Like, I mean, it's not often you lose a game 9-0 ever, let alone twice in two years. No, I agree. I mean, I was at the 9-0 um, and it felt like, you know, I, I wrote afterwards, like, is, is there ever any excuse for losing a game 9-0? And I tried to figure out whether there was, there was basically, because it's, it's the kind of thing that you just don't see. And let, don't <laughs> well, well, I don't know. I just don't think I just don't, I, I kind of, I tend to agree, but I mean, in the, in the, you know, it was such a strange game. It wasn't like, I know they had a player sent off in the first 9-0. And I know Southampton fans, by the way, hate everybody talking about the 9-0. But when you do it twice, I'm afraid people just, they're, they're bound to just talk about it. I don't hate um, <laughs> I'm sure you don't. I'm sure yeah. you don't. Um, but it felt like that game, the, the one at Old Trafford, you know, to lose, to go into it with the injury situation that they had and then to lose 
like one of the one probably the most inexperienced player on the team to that the only one probably the, the only player who's going to make that type of challenge that early in the game that, that happened it did feel like there was some mitigating circumstances at least for them there and it felt for me like it was different to the one before and Harsen who was saying afterwards we are a different team now we're a much better team now I think you used slightly stronger words than that did. Podcast. Um, so I, I feel like I almost don't want to read too much into that and I think over the last two games, you know, forget about the nine. But let's stop talking about it. Look, over the last two games, the Newcastle game and this Wolves game the other night, they've, they've won one and they deserve to win the other by the looks of it to me. And I feel that Wolves, respect, we're not talking too much about Wolves here, but they feel like a team that really is going through a bit of a moment that they don't quite know what they are. They've they've lost Yotta to Liverpool. They've lost Jimenez to injury. They've, you know, they're trying to figure out whether they're this solid defensive team or whether they're trying to let the shackles off a little bit. I think they might be there for the taking and I wouldn't be surprised if um, if Southampton get back to, get at least at least stop the rot, at least stop the rot. Well, that game kicks off Sunday midday, Southampton against Wolves. Brighton versus Aston Villa also takes place on the South Coast. This one at the Amex Stadium, of course, Saturday, 8pm kickoff. Um, Villa had plenty of games in hand, Stephen, because of that coronavirus outbreak um, at their training ground, Bodymore Heath, about a month or so ago now. Um, but they haven't actually been able to use those really to their advantage to try and build some momentum. Um, they've only got a single game in hand now over the other sides around them in that Premier League shake-up when it comes to making a late surge for the top four or even the Europa League spots. Do you think they're going to finish in those Europa League spots? Did they really need to use those games in hand that they had to try and uh, gain some points? Look, to be honest, I don't think they'll really care. I mean, it's nice for them, but they only need one more victory to beat the whole total points from last season. And they'll have mm. another 16 goes at it, you know what I mean? So, like, they've had an excellent season. And um, uh, if they stay around, I mean, obviously, why not go for it? Of course, why not go for it? But, I mean, they're, they're, they're competing with the likes of Everton with bigger budgets and Tottenham and, and, and even Arsenal and all that. So, it's not going to be easy for them. But, I mean, I don't think that's their overall goal. I think it's just to carry on playing this kind of good football that they're doing. They've had a phenomenal season by their standards. You know, last season, obviously, uh, poor and people would expect him to go down. And um, uh, Dee Smith's done a cracking job this season. He's built a, a team now when you look at it. It's just got quality through it. Um, they'll fancy their chances because the football they play is so good they've got a play that is probably in form even close to world-class kind of level of form you know I'm not saying he's a world-class player yet Grealish but his form is that good and you look through that team and it's just a fun team you know so fair play to them um I, they, they could go for it and go for the Europa League if they don't get there though would anyone really kind of you know uh call them out for it given you know the expectations that they were under at the start of this season given the fact there was even some calls to Deesmith to leave his job last year um mm. they, they've done they've done well they've done really well and um if they are definitely capable of getting there but at the same time if they didn't I don't think they'd be too bothered no, that's a fair point um, how about Brighton then Mark they found form meanwhile whereas Aston Villa have kind of slightly been on and off they took Leicester very close in the cup it took an Iheanacho 90th minute uh, winner to, to send Leicester through there he said that he didn't fancy extra time um, because it was too cold not sure how much I believe that <laughs> Kelechi but there we go um, but Brighton are finally starting to take their chances in front of goal which we've been saying for, for weeks even months is, is what's been holding them back yeah um, I think that yeah you're right that's been that's been the issue since the start of the season I think I remember watching the first couple of games and being really quite impressed with them and thinking wow the Graham Potter's actually got yeah. a, a decent team together here and then being genuinely surprised when they just spent the first half of the season hovering above the relegation zone, even dropping into it sometimes, because it just didn't feel like the way they were set up um, was mm. they, they didn't even look that 
you know, like that porous, they didn't concede a lot of chances. They didn't, it's not like they gave much away, but still they found themselves on the wrong side of defeats. And um, I remember when they, they came to City a few just last month and Pep was talking about how like Potter's his favourite manager in the Premier League and he just loves to watch Brighton play. And listening yeah. to him talk about that was kind of like, oh, well, there, there is a, you're not just, we're not just seeing things here. There is a team here. If he, if he recognises it, then there must be something there. And over the last couple of weeks, those results have started to come together and they've started to pick up some form. Um, a couple of really big ones against Liverpool and Tottenham. And I imagine now, I mean, they look like... Relegation race looks pretty run, doesn't it? And they, they look like they've got their heads above water pretty safely. So from from now until the end of the season, you'd hope, really, for their, for their, their point of view, it's just going to be a case of just keep adding a few little pieces, a few touches, and, and building this team towards next season. Because, again, like... Um, I've, I've, not not to the same extent as Southampton. I think Southampton are, have generally got a bit more talent, but they are working on one of the smaller wage budgets, one of the smaller clubs in the division. But Potter's built something that's really quite impressive there. Mm. So um, yeah, um, they love him, don't they? Pep loves him as well. Um, <laughs> Brighton versus Aston Villa Saturday <laughs> eight pm, which means we've now reached the final game to talk about on today's Football Social Daily preview show. It takes place at Selhurst Park. Crystal Palace versus Burnley. I think this game could finish nine nil, and it would still be at the bottom of the running order on match of the day. <laughs> Sorry, guys. Um, Saturday three o'clock kickoff. Um, in all fairness, though, Stephen, this isn't going to finish nine nil, uh, especially not in the favour of Crystal Palace because they don't have Wilfred Zaha, and it is a cliche that they're pretty much lost without him um well at least it's uncertain whether he will play he might make an appearance who knows but 17 of the last 19 games where they've not had Wilfred Zaha play they've lost and they failed to score in 15 of those 17 games which uh, they've lost so how do they go about solving that issue is it simply a case of just buying someone in the transfer market because it feels like they've tried to do that with young Eze but it's certainly a problem for them um, it's difficult. I mean, the, the thing, the problem, the problem with Crystal Palace have got with someone like Zaha is that he's obviously so, with all due respect, above their level and quality overall that they've become reliant on him, don't they? And yeah. um, I think you need a particularly creative and intuitive manager to get something out of the rest of the team. But uh, you don't really blame Roy Hodgson for very much resorting to give the ball to Zaha to hope something the best. It could be that maybe when Zaha steps, you know, moves away, if he ever does, that someone like Eze does kind of step up. Um, uh, and, and become the main focus of the team because he certainly has a lot of talent. But it's, I mean, I don't even know. I mean, it must be that you have to sign someone because they, I don't think they've got currently got the, 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 the magic that Zaha creates. They haven't got that in the squad than, other than maybe Eze. So I, I don't think they can unless they have a manager who's going to try something really different. Um, and nothing really suggests that Roy Hodgson is that person. He's a good manager, but he's functional, Roy Hodgson, isn't he? And the only good thing for them is that they tend to pick up points against teams below them. Um, um, and that obviously fits with Burnley in this instance, but um, I can see it being a, a, a war of attrition this game. And, <laughs> and to be honest, yeah, you know, I, I, I would actually expect Burnley to reverse that trend of Palace beating teams below him here because of the lack of Zaha. And I can see it's, uh, maybe I'm wrong because it's Ellis Park and that kind of stuff, but this is going to yeah. be, I, mean, I wouldn't be surprised if it's no nil put it that way. Yeah, well, there's plenty of touch-and-go uh, players, let's just say, for Burnley. Chris Wood might not play. Um, a couple of other players like Robbie Brady also might not play. So they're not quite sure who's going to be fit uh, and available to them, Burnley. Uh, but from the Claret's perspective, Mark, just to close out the show, the fans have been really frustrated, I've noticed, on social media with being knocked out of the FA Cup to Bournemouth midweek, obviously a side that dropped out of the Premier League into the Championship last season. It certainly feels to me like those Burnley fans would like a cup run, but Sean Dyche doesn't really 
give two monkeys about the FA Cup. He doesn't care much for it at all. His priority is the Premier League. With that new American ownership at Burnley and, you know, possible new aspirations from the fans, do you think Sean Dyche does have his priorities right in focusing on the Premier League? Obviously, he'll play a much stronger team against Palace than he did against Bournemouth. So, so, so what, do you, what do you think about that and the idea that these fans probably would like a little bit more um, effort in the cup, let's just say? Um, I, I think lot, it's hard not to have a lot of sympathy with, with Burnley fans in that regard and with a lot of clubs in the Premier League who are kind of subsisting and are only there to just you know collect their 40 points each season and, and try and stay out of trouble and come back the next year for the for the next lot of TV money. That's how a lot of owners and directors think. But those are the realities. Um, and although you'd like it to be a lot more romantic and although you'd like to um, try and, you know, perhaps risk some of that uh, security, if you like, um, in exchange for a big romantic cup run. Um, I think if Sean Dyche is talking, if he's had any conversations with the new owners there, they'll be telling him, no, you need to make sure that we're still in the Premier League next season, mate, because otherwise we're in, you know, there's going to be, there's going to be <laughs> problems. And I can see from yeah. his perspective that he's that's, that's his only, that's his priority. Mm. Um, you only have to look at a team like, you know, Wigan, who, um, of course, won it, didn't they, um, mm. in 2013, I think it was, and yeah. what all the problems that are there now. Um, I'm not saying that's a simple cause and effect, but they were relegated that season when they won it, and they've not been back since. So it's it's, it's difficult. And I, understand. I know what that feels like, Mark. <laughs> yeah. Oh, sorry. There are other examples I hear as well. Yeah. Um, uh, <laughs> uh, so it's difficult, but um, no, I think, I think Sean Dice has probably got his priorities right on that one, yeah. Okay, Crystal Palace against Burnley, Saturday, 3 o'clock kickoff. As I said earlier on in the show, there are two Monday fixtures, but we'll preview those on Monday's podcast. Don't forget, don't forget, Fergal Brennan and the gang will be back on Sunday to run down all of the results that take place over the weekend's Premier League fixtures. So make sure you hit subscribe and therefore you won't ever miss uh, any episodes again, including that one. But that's it for today. Thank you very much, Stephen. Thank you, Mark. Thanks. Cheers. Thank you. My name's Niall. Don't forget, as I say, to hit subscribe. Go and check out our website as well, sport-social.co.uk. But that's it for today's episode, and we'll speak to you again soon. Football Social Daily from Sport Social. Find us on Twitter at The Sport Social. It's time for today's Lucky Land Horoscope with Victoria Cash. Life's gotten mundane, so shake up the daily routine and be adventurous with a trip to Lucky Land. You know what they say. Your chance to win starts with a spin. So go to LuckyLandSlots.com to play over 100 social casino-style games for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. Get lucky today at LuckyLandSlots.com. Available to players in the U.S., excluding Washington and Michigan. No purchase necessary. VGW Group. Void or prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. Hey, guys. It is Ryan. I'm not sure if you know this about me, but I'm a bit of a fun fanatic when I can. I like to work, but I like fun, too. It's a thing. And now the truth is out there. I can tell you about my favorite place to have fun. Chumba Casino. They have hundreds of social casino-style games to choose from with new games released each week. You can play for free anytime, anywhere and each day brings a new chance to collect daily bonuses. So join me in the fun. Sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. VTW. Void. We're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus.